It has been said that you can spell all other religions D-O, do. But you can spell Christianity D-O-N-E, done. Is what Christ did for us. All other religions typically have some type of works effort that is involved in earning uh, God's uh, favor. But with Christianity, it is Christ who earned God's favor on our behalf. He died for our sins and He was buried and He was resurrected the third day for our justification that we who place our faith in Christ can stand before God the Father righteous. But early in Christianity, especially, there was a group known as the Judaizers or the circumcision party, sometimes referred to. And as the gospel spread, the Jews were persecuted in Jerusalem, and so they moved. some of them moved north up into Antioch, and they began to share the gospel with Gentiles there. And, and that's the first place that people were called Christians, because they were no longer just a Jewish sect. And so, uh, as these Christians gathered, there became questions about the law. In fact, in Acts 15... Uh, there are some, some came from Judea to Antioch and they said, unless you are circumcised according to the custom of Moses, you cannot be saved. And so there was a great debate and so they decided to send Paul and Barnabas down to Jerusalem to discuss these things with the apostles. And so they did and they went down there and uh, they were welcomed as brethren there, but there were some believers, we're told, who belonged to the party of the Pharisees, who rose up and said, it is necessary to circumcise them and to order them to keep the law of Moses. And so there were some apparently that it was like, well, it's okay if you want to like add Jesus in, but we need to continue. Like Gentiles need to become Jewish in what they do. They need to keep the law. And so that was a, a real problem. And in the book of Galatians, Paul recounts that on another trip, uh, to Jerusalem, he took Titus with him and Barnabas. And we're in the book of Titus, and so Titus knows about these guys. And so when they went down to discuss a, a revelation that Paul had had uh, with the apostles, uh, Paul, again, was welcomed by them. But there were those who came in and they wanted Titus to be circumcised. And Titus was not Jewish at all. Timothy was half Jewish. And he ended up getting circumcised so as not to have a barrier between him and, and Jewish uh, people that he was ministering to. But for Titus, he was wholly Gentile. And Paul would not let Titus be circumcised. And uh, <clears throat> so with that, he, and he even uses this, he said, uh, there were some false brothers who came in who came in to spy out our freedom that we have in Christ so they might bring us into slavery, into slavery to the law. And he says, to them we did not yield in submission even for a moment so that the truth of the gospel might be preserved for you. And we've seen in Titus that a big part of, of Paul's mission that he is turning over to Titus, that is to be turned over to the uh, elders that are going to be appointed, is that they have to guard the gospel. In the book of Colossians, Paul writes, so they were even in the Colossian church. He says in Colossians 2.16, Therefore, let no one pass judgment on you 
in questions of food and drink or with regard to a festival or a new moon or a Sabbath. And, and they, he says, don't let them insist on asceticism, touch not, taste not, adding all these rules. And he finishes that passage by saying, these have indeed an appearance of wisdom in promoting self-made religion and asceticism and severity to the body. But they are of no value in stopping the indulgence of the flesh. No value. <coughs> so these Judaizers of the circumcision party were a constant thorn in the side of the early church. They caused a lot of trouble. And as we're going to see today, they were a source of trouble on the island of Crete. So let's turn to the letter of Titus and uh, let's go to chapter one. And we'll start back in verse nine as it leads into from the last time talking about those who were qualified to be elders leads into our passage, passages 10 through 16. So Titus 1, verse 9, says, He, that's the qualified pastor or the qualified elder, must hold firm to the trustworthy word as taught so that he may be able to give instruction in sound doctrine and also to rebuke those who contradict it. For there are many who are insubordinate, Empty talkers and deceivers, especially or particularly those of the circumcision party. They must be silenced since they are upsetting whole families by teaching for shameful gain what they ought not to teach. One of the Cretans, a prophet of their own, said, Cretans are always liars, evil beasts, lazy gluttons. This testimony is true. Therefore, rebuke them sharply that they may be sound in the faith not devoting themselves to Jewish myths and the commands of people who turn away from the truth. To the pure, all things are pure. But to the defiled and unbelieving, nothing is pure. But both their minds and their consciences are defiled. They profess to know God, but they deny Him by their works. They are detestable, disobedient, unfit for any good work. What are you to do with those who are devoted to untruth? I want you to know that there are those who threaten your knowledge of the truth, who are devoted to untrue things, and they must be silenced within the church. And so, first of all, we have to recognize those who are devoted to untruth. How can we recognize those who are devoted to untruth? Look at verses 10 through 14. We read there, for there are many who are insubordinate. Empty talkers, that word means like windbags, idle talkers. They're talking about things, but not saying a lot. Empty talkers and deceivers, especially those of the circumcision party, they must be silenced since they're upsetting whole families by teaching for shameful gain what they ought not to teach. First, we find these characteristics that help us identify those who are devoted to untruth. They are insubordinate. They will not submit to the gospel of salvation by grace alone, through faith alone, in Christ alone. They are empty talkers. They have a lot to say that's not of much value. And then it says they are deceivers. They are devoted. They are devoted to putting their own spin on salvation, which usually ends up adding something man-made or external commands that get added to the gospel. In this, they are like those of the circumcision part, the Judaizers. They are devoted to promoting unsound commands 
of people who reject the truth. So they are devoted to promoting unsound commands of truth rejectors. They deceive others by teaching what they shouldn't. And they endanger whole families. And then, along with that, they, they are taking advantage of other people financially. They are teaching for shameful gain. Now, note how Paul points out they're no different in principle from the worldly people that are around them. Look at verses 12 and 13 of chapter 1. <coughs> One of the Cretans, a prophet of their own, said, Cretans are always liars, evil beasts, lazy gluttons. And he's quoting a writer in that day who was from Crete. This testimony is true. Therefore, rebuke them sharply that they may be sound in the faith. In other words, free from error. Not devoting themselves to Jewish myths and the commands of people who turn away from the truth. So he says that they are liars. Well, in verse 10, they're called deceivers. In verse 11, they're teaching what they ought not. And in verse 14, they're talking about commands of people who turn away from the truth. So they are liars, just like the Cretans were known to be. They are evil beasts. They're just like wild animals. They're insubordinate, as he said in verse 10. They are insubordinate in doing evil. And then he calls them lazy gluttons. In verse 11, they are unwilling to work, so they take advantage of families for unjust gain or for shameful gain. So these false teachers are just like the world around them in principle. And they are devoted to Jewish myths and unsound commands of truth rejectors. You see, man-made laws turn people away from Christ. Man-made laws turn people away from Christ. On your handout, you have Mark chapter 7, verses 1 through 7, and we see Jesus teaching about this. And Paul, in the latter part of our verses that we're covering today, is going to refer to the teachings of Jesus by alluding to them in the Scriptures. But Mark 7, verses 1 through 7, it says, Now when the Pharisees gathered to Jesus with some of the scribes who had come from Jerusalem, they saw that some of his disciples ate with hands that were defiled, that is, unwashed. And then Mark, uh, writing to a Gentile audience, he usually explains odd Jewish customs. So he puts in verse 3 and 4, For the Pharisees and all the Jews do not eat unless they wash their hands properly holding to the tradition of the elders. And when they come from the marketplace, they do not eat unless they wash. And there are many other traditions that they observe, such as the washing of cups and pots and copper vessels and dining couches. In other words, uncleanness was something you could catch by touching something. So verse 5, And the Pharisees and the scribes asked him, Why do your disciples not walk according to the tradition of the elders, but eat with defiled hands? And he said to them, well, did Isaiah prophecy of you hypocrites, as it is written, this people honors me with their lips, but their heart is far from me. In vain they do worship me, teaching as doctrines the commandments of men. You see, the commandments of men lead people away from God. Man-made laws turn people away from Christ. So beware of anyone who tells you that you must keep a list of commands or refrain from certain foods in order to be pure. In the days of this letter to Titus, those devoted to untruth were the Judaizers. But who are those 
that we need to be on watch out for today in our day? Who are those who deceptively lead families away from the truth? Well, first of all, there are the Jehovah Witnesses and the Mormons. I got a letter in the mail just yesterday from the Jehovah Witnesses and the Mormons. And they are off on who the person of Christ is. In other words, they use the name Jesus, but they're not referring to the Jesus of the Bible. Right? Do you share a name with somebody? Uh, and, and so sometimes people may get confused as to which, which person they're talking about. Well, that's what happens with Jehovah Witnesses and Mormons. Jehovah Witnesses believe that Jesus was created. And as we read in our statement of Christology, Jesus has always been. And so they believe He was created. The Mormons believe that Jesus was the brother of Satan. These are, these are things that don't describe the Jesus of the Bible. So we call them theological cults. They misunderstand the person and work of Christ. Therefore, the Jehovah Witnesses and the Mormons offer another Jesus that is not the Jesus of the Bible. And in Acts 4.12, we're told this, There is salvation in no one else, for there is no other name under heaven given among men by which we must be saved. So beware of Jehovah Witnesses and Mormons. Another one, another group is the Catholic Church, the Roman Catholic Church. They teach justification by faith in Christ plus works. Back at the time of the Reformation, there was the Council of Trent that they had, and they pronounced an anathema or a curse of God upon those who believe in justification by faith alone. In canon number nine of the Council of Trent, it says this, If anyone saith that by faith alone the impious is justified, in such wise to mean that nothing else is required to cooperate in order to uh, the attaining of the grace of justification, and that it is not in any way necessary that he be prepared and disposed by the movement of his own will, let him be anathema. So they pronounced a curse upon any believer who believes that we are justified by faith alone in Christ alone. And so... The Catholic Church, you have to be careful. They want to add to Christ's work. That was why the Reformation occurred, was to regain the gospel. Then we have uh, in, uh, our time, uh, in our area, the Church of Christ. The Church of Christ teaches that water baptism is necessary to become a Christian. And, and I'm going to quote from their material here, okay? So don't, don't think the pastor's up here, you know, throwing grenades, okay? I want you to know the truth. So, from the Church of Christ uh, statement on uh, or confession for baptism, I'm sorry, no, that's not that's from a different group. The Church of Christ. Uh, this is from their doctrinal statement. It says, "Our conversion begins with belief in Jesus as God's Son and in His death and resurrection from the dead. Subsequent steps must include." Unmistakable repentance of sin, embracing discipleship and confession that Jesus is Lord. Finally, we become Christians at the miracle of rebirth with our immersion in water for the forgiveness of our sins and the promise that God will give us the gift of the Holy Spirit. It's from the International Churches of Christ doctrinal statement. You're saved by grace alone through faith alone, in Christ alone. 
beloved. Don't be deceived. Another group, the Seventh-day Adventists, are very much like modern Judaizers. If we had any group that was like the Judaizers, it would be the Seventh-day Adventists. They believe that we are still bound to the law and that you're not to partake of unclean foods. In their confession that they make on baptism, the confession number six that they make says this, do you accept the Ten Commandments as still binding upon Christians? And is it your purpose by the power of the indwelling Spirit or the indwelling Christ to keep the law of God, including the fourth commandment, which calls us to keep the seventh day of the week as the Sabbath of the Lord? And then going on in their confession number 10, do you believe that your body is the temple of the Holy Spirit and that you are to honor God by caring for your body, avoiding the use of that which is harmful, to abstain from all unclean foods and from the use of alcoholic beverages, tobacco, narcotics, or any other type of drugs? That is from their confessions that they make when they're baptized. Beloved, we are saved by grace alone, through faith alone, in Christ alone. You don't add anything to that. It's all of Christ. Right? It's all God's work to save us. There are some charismatic churches that will teach that you must speak in tongues as an evidence of the Holy Spirit upon your life. Again, adding some extra step to prove your salvation. There are also those that play to our desires, such as the prosperity gospel, it's commonly promoted by Joel Olstein and many other televangelists. They falsely promise blessings for the amount of faith that you have, especially in regards to a monetary gift. And so these are just some of the ones that you need to be aware of in our modern times. But perhaps you're here today and you're visiting with us and you would say, Pastor Harris, I was raised in one of those environments, and I've been deceived. Look, I understand. I actually grew up in a church that uh, indoctrinally believed the gospel, but had went away from it, and it was never proclaimed in our church building. So I understand what it's like to, to grow up in an environment where you're never told the true gospel. And I would just encourage you this morning, you're hearing possibly for the first time that some of the things you were told were not true according to the Scriptures. If you have questions about that, please see me or Pastor Tad. We'd love to help you with that. But if you're already convinced, then the thing to do is to repent of your sins and place your faith in Christ and Christ alone for your salvation. Trusting Him and nothing else. Not your baptism, not your good works, not your ability to to not eat certain foods and those type of things, just placing your faith in Christ alone for your salvation. But for Christians, what are, what are, what's to be done with these dangerous people who are upsetting families? They are devoted to untruth. They're, they're going to be around us, but we have to be concerned when they begin to infiltrate our church or in the homes of our people. Okay? What are we to do with them? Well, we see in Titus 1.13 that we are to rebuke them. Verse 13 there, the second part. Therefore, rebuke them sharply, that they may be sound in the faith, not devoting themselves to Jewish myths and the commands of people who turn away from the truth. You see, those devoted to untruth 
are to be rebuked sharply. Now that word sharply, we, we tend to think of that as like, oh, just whatever you do, just hmm, be rude if you have to and interrupt them. That's not necessarily the sense. It, it, this sharply has the idea of cutting off. In other words, to silence. It says they must be silenced, right? So this false teaching needs to be silenced and not allowed to continue, but so you need to be on guard for false teaching and you may not be able to remember everything. You're just like, oh man, Pastor Harris and Pastor Tad, they said these things and, and then like I read somewhere this, like, and you just may not be confident on what you've been taught when somebody else is challenging that. Well, I would, I would ask you to do this. Listen for things as they are teaching that just don't sound right. Like, I've never heard that before from the pulpit at my church. Or that just sounds off for some reason. Then, bring it to one of your pastors. Because qualified pastors should be able to help you. That's the context that we're in, is that these pastors are the ones that need to come in and do the rebuking. Because they have to know the gospel well in order to be a qualified pastor. So, Go to your pastors. They can come in and they can rebuke these false teachers who are devoted to untruth and silence them. But this silence, this silencing is to be done with gospel motives. Because maybe this person that's teaching you is a friend and you're like, man, rebuking. I don't know. Pastor Harris coming in and rebuking. You know? That, I don't want them to break that friendship. Well, there's a gentleness that needs to be had. In this rebuking, okay, uh, it's it's to be done with reconciling motives, gospel reconciling motives. It says that they may be sound in the faith. So one of the goals in rebuking them is so their understanding of the gospel will be correct. It will be free from error. Second Timothy makes this very plain. Second Timothy two verses twenty through twenty four through twenty six say this. And the Lord's servant, that's speaking of pastors, must not be quarrelsome, but kind to everyone, able to teach, patiently enduring evil, and then pertinent to our text today, correcting his opponents with gentleness. God may perhaps grant them repentance, leading to a knowledge of the truth, and they may come to their senses and escape from the snare of the devil after being captured by him to do his will. So there are those who are devoted to untrue things described in Timothy as those captured by Satan to do his will. And they are threatening your knowledge of the truth, which refers back to the very first couple verses that Paul has dedicated to the faith of God's elect and their knowledge of the truth. So these people are threatening the knowledge of truth. They need to be silenced with the truth of the gospel and hope that they will repent and place their faith in Christ in Christ alone for their salvation. Now, Paul finishes in our text today, in verses 15 and following, by reaffirming the truth of Christ's teachings on impurity and purity. He does this by bringing in the teachings when Jesus was confronting Jewish Pharisees. So let's read Titus 1, verses 15 and 16, and then we'll make some observations. He says, to the pure, and I I would just add in there, he's talking about the pure of heart. To the pure of heart, all things are pure. But to the defiled and unbelieving, 
Nothing is pure. But both their minds and their consciences are defiled. They profess to know God, but they deny Him by their works. They are detestable, disobedient, unfit for any good work. We see in these verses that purity and defilement are a matter of the heart. To the pure of heart, all things are pure. If you look there on your handout to Luke 11, verses 37 through 41, Jesus taught about this. It says, while Jesus was speaking, a Pharisee asked him to dine with him, so he went in and reclined at table. The Pharisee was astonished to see that he did not first wash before dinner, a parallel passage to the one in Mark. And the Lord said to him, Now you Pharisees cleanse the outside of the cup and of the dish, but inside you are full of greed and wickedness. You fools! Did not he who made the outside make the inside also? But give as alms those things that are within, and behold, everything is clean for you. In other words, if the inside is clean, if you give of that, everything is clean to you. In other words, the defilement comes from within, not from without. Purity and defilement are a matter of the heart. To the defiled and unbelieving, nothing is pure. If we look to Mark chapter 7, verses 14 through 23, this is the latter half of Mark chapter 7. So he said that everything is clean to you, which Paul referred to in our passage today. But Mark 7, verse 14, it says, And he called the people to him again and said to them, Hear to me, Hear me, all of you, and understand. There's nothing outside a person that by going into him can defile him. But the things that come out of a person are what defile him. And when he had entered the house and left the people, his disciples asked him about the parable. And he said to them, Then are you also without understanding? Do you not see that whatever goes into a person from outside cannot defile him, since it enters not his heart, but his stomach, and is expelled? And then, in parentheses, one of my favorite verses, thus he declared all foods clean. So, if you want to have some shrimp for lunch, amen. Ham, bacon, all of it. Clean. Praise the Lord. Verse 20, and he said, what comes out of a person is what defiles him. For from within, out of the heart of man, come evil thoughts, sexual immorality, theft, Murder, adultery, coveting, wickedness, deceit, sensuality, envy, slander, pride, foolishness. All these evil things come from within and they defile a person. You see, the problem with sin is within. It's not outside of you. It's not these temptations outside of you. It's not these things that you can touch or eat that will defile you. The problem with sin is within. And we see in verse 16 the demands of external conformity for purity reveal an internal defilement. In other words, somebody making up commands to keep you from being defiled reveals a heart of defilement. Titus 1.16 says, They profess to know God, but they deny Him by their works. They're detestable, disobedient, unfit for any good work. He says they profess to know God. It's as when Jesus quoted Isaiah, he said, This people honors me with their lips, but their heart is far from me. 
So don't be surprised when false teachers have a lot of good things to say about God and they have what appears to be a zeal for God. But their approach to God is through their works, not through Christ. Or it's they're adding something to the work of Christ. They honor God with their words, but their heart is far from Him. And then it says that they deny Him by their works. It's out of the heart that comes all sorts of sinful behaviors. And then he says they are detestable, disobedient, and disqualified. Now, detestable is a pretty harsh word, right? But I want you to think about something. Well, if, if, you, if you had someone who was supposedly your friend, and there was, there was a place where you were going to have a wedding, and so, so you're, you're getting married, and so it's, but the place is new, it's not, it's not on Google Maps or anything. And so you ask your friend to stand at the end of the road where it forks, and you say, now when people drive by here, you point them to my wedding. Okay? You point them to my wedding because this is the way. And your friend says, yes. But then as people drive by, he says, go this way. Go this way. No, no. Go this way. Because you're going to have people that say, well, man, like, People who, we have other religions with people who are very zealous for God and they, they say that they follow God and they, they're sincere. But their teaching doesn't lead to the wedding supper of the Lamb. I mean, what kind of, what kind of friend would you think if you're sitting there and you're about to have your wedding and you're about to have your celebration and nobody's there? What would you think of your friend? You'd think he's pretty despicable, wouldn't you? Why would you do this? On my special day. Well, beloved false teachers, even being off just a little bit on the gospel, lead you astray. They lead people astray. And the end, their destination is not with God reconciled in Christ. It's somewhere else. A place of destruction. The testable, the testable is a harsh word, but it's the proper word. Think of how terrible it is to take something so precious and life-giving as the gospel and then twist it and deform it into something that cannot give life. I would not want to be a teacher of a false gospel and stand before God on Judgment Day and say, I pointed people down the wrong road for years. Detestable. These teachers are devoted to untrue things And so they are detestable. They're disobedient to God and they're disqualified from any good work. Again, it's been said, you can spell all other religions do, D-O, but you spell Christianity D-O-N-E. Beloved, you need to know what you believe and why you believe it. So listen and learn as much and as often as you can. One of the best ways to recognize error is to listen to the truth. When you hear the truth taught consistently, then when you hear something false, it won't sound right. Something won't ring true. And so be here at church. Be here at Sunday school when we're teaching truth. Be here on Wednesday night when we're teaching truth. Consume the truth because you're going to get a lot of garbage for the rest of the week. So be here as much as you can and hear right teaching from the Word of God. Learn, learn, learn. Read your Bible. Be discipled. 
You need someone to disciple you? Come to me or Pastor Tad. We'll get somebody with you and help you learn how to read and pray and grow in Christ. Beloved, you need to know what you believe and why you believe it because there are those who threaten your knowledge of the truth. And they are devoted to untrue things and they must be silent.